Well, good evening, everyone. Good to uh, be back with you. I've been uh, away from Night Church the last couple of weeks uh, at summer school and holidays and things like that. Still lots of people away, uh, it seems, as well. But uh, I hope it feels strange when you're away from church. I hope it, you, know, you kind of come back and go, oh, it's been really weird being away. I hope that's your natural feeling. That is a good feeling. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll have a look at Psalm 30 together. Let me pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we ask now that you help us to have clear minds. Uh, Please help us to put away uh, holiday distractions and uh, restful distractions. We pray, Lord, that our mind will be centered on you. Uh, We pray, Father, that now by your Spirit, you'll help us to hear the words you say so that we might be more like Jesus, your Son. And it's his name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to start by asking you guys a question. Uh, How do you go at, at praising God? So we, we often talk about uh, daily Bible reading, we often talk about our daily prayer habits, uh, and if you're anything like me, we put our hand up and we talk about how we daily struggle with those things, but, but how often do we talk about daily praise? See, how do you go at praising God? And on one level, it's, it's a really uh, easy question to ask on a Sunday because, hey, we've just sung God's praises together and we'll do it again before service end. But how do you go up praising God when you leave church in about an hour after church? And how do you go up praising God come tomorrow morning? And how do you go up praising God come Wednesday when it's the middle of the week and you're at work or you're at uni and things are piling up and Friday's the end of the week's not that far away and you're not going to get all the stuff you think you need to get done? How often do you remember in those times to praise God? Or when is the last time you've heard or, or you've said yourself, praise God in conversation? And, you know, someone has just uh, shared some good news or some mercy of God towards them. See, how do you go in that moment at simply saying, praise God? How good is that? How good is God? You see, it's an interesting question, I think, for us, particularly as Australians. We often don't like giving praise to anyone. And we're not very good, I think, at giving praise to God. It's not, it's not natural to us. It's not kind of what we grow up in. We, we take great pride in the, you know, sarcastic comments and the the witty remark, the, the friendly, humorous sledge. Uh, and we mostly feel awkward if someone says something uh, praiseworthy about us. We don't quite know what to do secretly. We love it. We think, hey, that's great. We don't know what to do because we're not used to praise. We're not used to giving praise. But if you were to do a simple word search, the word praise in the Bible comes up over and over again. Because the Bible is full of praise. And so the Christian life should be full of praise. And if you want to see that, there's no better place to go than in the Psalms. The word praise comes up in the Psalms alone something like 200 times. So It comes up over and over again. Praise for God's word. Praise for his mercy. Praise for his grace. Praise for his creating of us. He didn't have to make us, but he did. Praise for his sustaining of all the universe and the world. If God stopped acting, you'd be dead. You'd cease to exist. Everything would collapse. Praise for God's faithfulness and compassion and loving kindness. You can, you can barely read a stanza of a psalm without hearing the praise of God for something God has said or done or something God simply is as God. So let me ask you again, how do you think you're going at praising God? How is your daily praise of the one who made us and all things? So here's the plan for the next two weeks. Uh, this week we're going to look at two psalms. Over the next two weeks we're going to look at two psalms, Psalm 30 today, 
uh, Psalm 32 next week, which uh, Brendan's already given us a bit of a taste of. And my hope is simple. I hope that in the next two weeks, as we look at these two Psalms, my great hope is that in light of those Psalms, we might praise God more. And Psalm 30 is a great place to start because part of what Psalm 30 teaches us is that we exist to praise God. And I don't mean to you know, get all philosophical and existential on you, particularly at the beginning of the year, but why do you think you exist? God didn't need to make you or me or any of us or anything. He, he, he's the triune God. He had love amongst himself. He didn't have to create, but he did. And why do you think he created us? Why do you think we exist? Why do you think God made us? Primarily, it's to praise and glorify him. And part of the warning of Psalm 30, as we'll see, is when we're not praising him, when we're not praising God, more often than not, it's because we're too busy praising ourselves. It's because we've deceived ourselves into thinking the reason our life is the way it is, is because of our own great efforts. And that's a great deception of all of humanity, particularly for us, I think, in our Western context and us in prosperous Sydney. You see, we so quickly think and believe that the reason we live where we live and the reason we have the wealth and health and skills that we have is because of our own great efforts. But once we remember that our first breath as we entered this life was given to us by God, well, then we remember that every breath deserves to be spent praising God, right? So let's have a look at Psalm 30, and make sure you're there now. If you don't have a Bible, stick your hand up again, and uh, Avril or Kevin will bring you a Bible. Make sure you've got a Bible. And uh, as you look at Psalm 30, hopefully you're looking at it. Uh, Remember, the titles of the psalm are not the original. So the title that comes right under Psalm 30, that's not uh, in the original. That's been put there by our Bible translators. Sometimes they're helpful, uh, other times not so helpful, other times completely useless and ignore them. But under that is the subtitle. Uh, which was rightly read out. And the subtitle is part of the original. And with Psalm 30, we can see that this is a psalm of David. So think King David. uh, Think the time of of 1 and 2 Samuel. And it's a psalm of dedication for the house. And the house is most probably referring to the temple. But it doesn't tell us much more than that. Which means as we read this psalm, we don't know exactly what situation David is referring to. We can work some stuff out, but we don't know the exact situation. So if you have a look at verse 1, look at verse 1 for a moment. Verse 1, if you have a look there, David exalts God for not allowing his enemies to triumph over him, but we don't know exactly who those enemies of David are. And if you look at verse 2, have a look at verse 2. David uh, speaks of, of crying out for God's help, for healing, and God heals him, but we don't know exactly what that healing was from. Uh, probably uh, some sort of serious illness that David had. So we don't know the exact situation that's being referred to here, but whatever it is, as we read the psalm, it becomes apparent that it wasn't good. That actually David was as good as dead as he pens this psalm, as he reflects on a time in his life. And you see that in verse 3. Have a look at verse 3. Because in verse 3, God brought David up from Sheol. And uh, he spared him from the pit. Which kind of sounds, you know, you know those prison movies where if you're a prisoner in one of those prison movies and you do something bad, they stick you in the pit. Like, you know how all those movies do that? That's what it sounds like. But Sheol and the pit in the Old Testament, it's the place of the dead. When you die in the Old Testament, you go to Sheol, you go to the pit. That's what's been referred to here. 
And so as we read this psalm, what we need to imagine with this psalm is David having one foot firmly in the place of Sheol, firmly in the pit. He's as good as dead. This is the, the, the prognosis where the doctor says to him, it's terminal. You won't recover, David. You won't live very long. That's the situation. And on top of that, we can imagine David's enemies rejoicing at his coming death. They want to triumph over his coming death. And again, we don't know exactly who those enemies are. They could be the surrounding nations that that hated Israel and hated God and hated God's king. Or they could even be enemies from within Israel. You know, others who hated David and thought, I can be king instead of him. I'd be a better king. If only he dies, he's going to die. That's great. I'll be king. I'll do a good job. Could be that sort of enemy as well. So that's the kind of situation we have to view here. It's serious. We can't make light of it. David is as good as dead. And yet, why does David then exalt God in verse 1? Why does he praise him? He praises him because God healed him. And because his enemies didn't triumph over him. And because God spares him, Sheol and the pit. And so what David does, uh, David does next in the psalm is he invites others to praise God because of that. So look at verse 4. Verse 4, David calls upon the people. He says to them, sing to Yahweh, you his faithful ones, and praise his holy name. And again, with the psalms, we have to imagine being the psalmist to get the psalms. And so if you imagine being David, wouldn't you do the same thing? You know, if you like David were on your deathbed, you were as good as dead, it was terminal, and then God miraculously healed you and you escaped death, what would you do? You would sing God's praises. You would go and tell people about what God had done for you. Now, the Bible never promises that God will heal us from physical ailments, but, but He can. And if He did, and if He did it for you, and if it was terminal, you'd tell everyone. You'd call your folks. You'd You'd call your brothers and sisters and friends. You'd call your third cousin in Broken Hill or Shanghai or Nigeria or Delhi. You'd tell everyone what God had done for you. But it's with verse 5 that the psalm becomes rather interesting. So you have a look at verse 5. If you look at verse 5, why does David call upon the people to praise God? See, what's the reason? See, in verse 5, it says this, Praise God, David says. Why? Verse 5, For God's anger lasts only a moment, but His favor a lifetime. Weeping may spend the night, but there is joy in the morning. It's interesting, you see, why, why does David speak of God's anger? And why does he speak of God's favor? Because David doesn't say, Praise God, because, hey, look, He's made me better. How good is God? He doesn't do that. He says, you faithful ones, praise God because his anger lasts only a moment and his favor a lifetime. So why anger? Why favor? Well, the answer is in verse 6 and 7. Have a look there. And here we learn of David's self-confidence, which is our next point. So look from verse 6. What does David say? He says, when I, David, was secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you showed your favor, you made me stand like a strong mountain. When you hid your face, I was terrified. So can you see the problem? You see, David got caught up in his own self-confidence. 
And so David there, he's saying, you know, when I was secure, I said, I will never be shaken. And David's heart had got to a place where he thought all the good that was happening in his life was because of him. And David, if you remember his story, and multiple times in his life, got to a very good place in his life. Uh, Do you remember what he was like as a young shepherd boy? He was just some measly young shepherd boy, and then he became kind of the right-hand man of King Saul. And then do you remember when he was a young warrior, what the women would sing about him? So the women in the street would sing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David, he's tens of thousands. That's what all the women would sing about David. He was a celebrity. And when David became king, he, he won battle after battle, and he built this great palace for himself. And, uh, and Israel prospered under him. And at some point in all that, David thought to himself, well, hey, isn't life great? Isn't my life so secure? I will never be shaken. Look how good it is. I'm so self-confident in all that I have done. But what David didn't realize, or at least didn't acknowledge as much as he should have, is that it was all from God. It was only because of God's favor that he stood so strong, like a mountain, like the psalm says. And isn't there a little warning for us here? A warning for us when life is going well. And, and life's not always going well. But when life is going well, we might be tempted to think, well, ha- haven't I done well for myself? And look at all I have accomplished for myself. Look, look at the marks I got in my exams. How good is that? Maybe not for you, but probably not for me either from memory. You know, look at the job I secured for myself. Look at the house I have provided for my family. You know, look at how fit and, and healthy I am. Look at how good things are. Ha- haven't I done well for myself? No. You see, that any one of us have the breath of life at all is a kindness of God. See, none of us deserve to be born in the country we were born in. None of us deserve to have the prosperity we enjoy. What makes any of us think that we deserve to be born here or live in this country or live in a country where we can then even migrate to here? What makes us think we deserve not to have been born in some slum where day after day what you're doing is you're in the tips trying to find enough scrap food just to give you enough daily bread? You see, the fact that any of us are born into a country or live in a country where you have even such things as exams means that you've grown up with education. And that's the mercy of God. That you even have the privilege to work and be paid for your work that you do is only because God has spared you slavery. That you have the money for a house is only a result of the abilities God has given you to earn that money. That you are fit and healthy is a gift from God in a world affected by sin and sickness and death. You see, when we remember those things, when we remember that all is from God, then surely there is only one thing to do when life is going well. You praise God. You thank Him. Because the only reason that things are going well is because God has shown you His favor and His blessing. Please be clear on this. We deserve none of it. Don't ever think otherwise. It's the deception of the devil to make us think that we deserve what we have. We don't. And that's not to say that when things aren't going well, well, at that point, we shouldn't praise God. Not at all. 
You see, the greatest of praise to God comes from the lips of suffering saints, who in their suffering and in their weakness, yet they praise God. And that is beautiful. That's what we learn in the book of Job. If you read the book of Job, what we learn there is that God is worthy of worship simply because God is worthy of worship, regardless of our circumstances. But the point of this psalm is, and the issue with David is, when things are good, that's when we're prone to become proud. That's when we deceive ourselves into thinking that all we have is, hey, because because of me. And it's especially an issue for us in our prosperous city. And in this psalm, David had become too confident in himself. He was in sin in his pride. And you see that in verse 11. See, look at verse 11 for a moment. See, in verse 11, what was David doing? David had been lamenting and he'd put on sackcloth. And more often than not, lament in the Bible and the putting on a sackcloth, if, you're, if you don't know what putting on sackcloth is, imagine a massive potato sack the size of you and you put that on. That, that's what putting on sackcloth looks like. And lament and sackcloth in the Old Testament, there were signs of repentance, signs of repenting of sin from sin. And so the movement of this psalm is, is that David had become much too confident thinking that he was responsible for all the good things in his life, when really it was only because of God's favor. And so God, in his right anger at David's pride, wanting to humble him, for a moment, because God's anger lasts only a moment, for a moment, God brought great suffering upon David. And in that suffering, it was so bad that David had a foot in Sheol. He was as good as dead. And it's in that moment of despair and suffering when David was as good as dead, that he laments, that he puts on sackcloth, and he cries out to God for help, and he acknowledges his sin and the utter stupidity of his self-confidence. And it's when David was in that moment that we, that, that we then get was it what's at the center of this psalm in verses 8 to 10. And this is point three now. Look, Have a look at verses 8 to 10. And here you've got to imagine, you know, David looking back at that moment when he was on his deathbed, and this is what he says to God. He felt like he was just about to die. Uh, And he petitions to God in this way. Look from verse 8. So imagine him on his deathbed, and then David says, Lord, I called to you in that moment. I sought favor from my Lord. And what did he say to God? He said, what gain is there from my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it, the dust, proclaim your truth? Lord, listen and be gracious to me. Lord, be my helper. And when you think about those words, aren't they very interesting? You look again at those verses, 8 to 10. Because what reason does David give to God as to why God should spare him death? He's on his deathbed, just about to die. Why does he say, why does he ask God to spare him death? See, David doesn't say, hey, God, think of all the good things I could do for you. He doesn't say, imagine how much you could use me to prosper Israel even more, God. Save me and I'll I'll help prosper Israel more. Or to put it in our modern day language, he doesn't say, imagine the great lawyer I could be and all the justice I could bring. He doesn't say, imagine the doctor you could make me to cure the sick or, or the good you could use me for to serve the poor. He doesn't even say to God, I'm a father of my children, spare me so I can keep on loving my children. He doesn't say, I'm I'm a child to my aging parents, spare me death so I can look after my aging parents. 
He doesn't say, I need to be a friend to others in time of suffering. All those things are good things. They're godly things. All things Christians should seek to do and to be as the Lord gives us opportunity. But David doesn't say any of that. You see, it's remarkable. Look again in verses 8, 9, and 10. What does David say? He says, God, spare my death, because if I die and go down to the pit, how can I praise you? If I turn to dust, which is what all of us will become in our mortal bodies unless Jesus comes back first, if I turn to dust, how will the dust praise you or proclaim your truth so that others might praise you also? See, David in this psalm is being humbled by God and is being reminded of why he exists. God gave him his breath and life and everything else to praise him. And you see it again in verse 11 and 12. Look at verse 11 and 12. Look at verse 11. You turned my lament, says David, into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Why? So that I can sing to you. And not be silent if you're dead. You're silent. You can't praise God if you're dead. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever, says David. See, this is a psalm of David reminding himself that he exists to praise God. And it's a psalm that tells of God's saving of David so that David might continue to praise God. And so I want to finish with two reflections for us today. What can we learn from this psalm for us And uh, both of my reflections are under the heading of Saved to Praise. And my first reflection is the most important one, and it naturally leads to the second one. But the first reflection is this. It is right for David to praise God in this psalm. You see, David was as good as dead, and he petitioned God to ask God for his favor, that God might spare him death, and God saves him. And so it's only right for David to give himself in praise to God Forever. That's the right thing to do. He saved him. But you see, how much more us? Go to Ephesians chapter 2. It's not going to come up on the screen, so make sure you flick your Bibles there. Ephesians chapter 2. I'll wait for you. Scroll on your Bibles or tap, whatever it is. Ephesians chapter 2. We've got a paper Bible. Remember, General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 1. It's so important we get this right. See, what does Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 say? It says, you were dead in trespasses and sin. It doesn't say you were as good as dead. You know, like David, whose, whose physical illness... Uh, almost led to physical death. No, no, the the New Testament tells us that every single human being, by default, is dead and trespasses and sin. It sounds a bit odd, but but the moment we were born, we were born dead in, in trespasses and sin. And the death being referred to here in the Bible isn't simply physical death, it's it's spiritual death. Death that leads to eternal judgment. So my first reflection is this. If David gave himself in praise to God for his favor upon him because God saved him from physical death, well, how much more should we praise God for his favor to us in Jesus, the one who saved us from eternal death? 
Do you realize that God's favor to you in Jesus means you are no longer dead in sin and trespasses? Do you realize that you were heading for what the Bible calls hell? All of us. Forget Sheol. Forget the pit. Forget, forget physical death. That's, that's the easy bit, really. David rightly feared that kind of physical death, but forget it. Now, the death we're spared from is spiritual death. And all of it because of Jesus. Praise God, right? And we've got to be really careful at this point because every single week, uh, Phil or I or Troy stand up here and say, hey, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You're forgiven for your sins. Yay. You know, every week we say, hey, you, you, you know, Jesus has won for you eternal life. Great. Because of Jesus, you're spared eternal death and judgment. And we all think, hey, great. That sounds good. That's lovely. We've got to be really careful that that doesn't become ordinary to us when you've got a spare hour or so and it's a gloomy uh, rainy night go and read jonathan edward's sermon sinners in the hands of an angry god and uh, it's from 1741 so it's a bit old and you know these were the days before any sort of political correctness uh it's very confronting but here's a snippet it's up on the screen and they told it straight in those days they, they straight speaking and in speaking of eternal hell, Jonathan Edwards said this. It's up on the screen. He said, It would be dreadful to suffer the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God one moment, but you must suffer it to all eternity. There will be no end to this horrible misery. When you look forward, you shall see a long forever, a boundless duration before you. And when so many ages have been spent by you in this manner, you will know that all is but a point to what remains, so that your punishment will indeed be infinite. How dreadful is the state of those that are daily and hourly in the danger of this great wrath and infinite misery. So we've got to be really careful that we don't laugh or brush off the idea of God's righteous judgment. We were dead in trespasses and sin. You see, without Jesus, all of us, without Jesus, before we knew Jesus, or even if you do not know Jesus now, what we just read there, that is what it means to be dead in trespasses and sin. It's to face God's eternal wrath and judgment. Again, forget physical death. That's the easy bit. See, this is the death that every human being faces by default. And yet, in Jesus, God has poured his favor upon us to save us. And when you understand that, what do you do? If you truly grasp the, the idea of, of hell and what our sin deserves, and you've been spared that, what do you do when you grasp that? You go, praise God for Jesus. And if you glance your eyes at Ephesians chapter 1 now, just go to Ephesians chapter 1 again. It's not going to be on the screen. I'm trying to get you guys to do a bit more Bible work. See, what does Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 say? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. What does Paul do there? What does he say? He says, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? For he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And as you read the rest of Ephesians chapter 1, you see just how richly God has poured his favor upon us in Jesus. And as you read on, you learn that, that God has done all that he's done in Jesus, his son, for us, so that we might praise him. That's why we exist. That's why we've been saved. 
So my first reflection and question to us is this. Do we realize how much in Jesus God has poured his favor upon us? And do we rightly praise him? Which leads to my second and much quicker reflection. And this is where we started. How are we going at praising God? How is your, your daily praise of God going? And I'm very reluctant to say this, and I'm not sure I'll ever say it again. I hope not. But we need to get more American. <laughs> you know, we need to get our American on. In Australia, we're so bad at this. You know, we, we don't say to each other, praise God. You know, <laughs> don't say it like that. You know. <laughs> We, we, we don't, with, with, with any sort of enthusiasm, when, when someone shares something that God has done for us, let alone what he's done for us in Jesus, we don't say to one another, how great is God? How good is that? Praise him. Or perhaps we can learn from our African brothers and sisters and say a hearty hallelujah sometimes. We're not good at this. And I'm not saying we need to be fake. We need to be genuine. We can't just be fake and put it on. That's useless. But if we were to spend more time in the Psalms, we would see just how often the psalmists praise God for who he is, for what he's done. And how much more reason have we got than the psalmists to praise God because we know all that God has done in Jesus, his son. They didn't know that and they praised God. How much more us? And so just to, just to throw out a few suggestions to, to help you and help me in how we might praise God more, and just, these are just ideas but here's, here they are for what they're worth. Instead of uh, you know, having uh, Tay-Tay or Coldplay or MJ or ABBA or the Stones, depending what decade you were born in, you know, instead of listening to that secular stuff on our radios, in our ears, all the time during the week, why not during the week listen to Christian songs? So that instead of singing secular songs through our day, we might sing songs of praise on our lips. Praising God, thanking God for all that Jesus has done on the cross for us. Well, why not try and acknowledge God to God more often? Because praise isn't simply singing. Don't equate praise and singing as the same thing. They're not. Praise is a bigger category. Singing is one way we do praise. But praise is as simple as saying to God, How great is it you've given me this day, God? We should get our cue from the birds in the morning. What do the birds do as soon as they wake up? They sing. They praise. We get that picture in the Psalms. All of creation sings glory to God. So when we hear the birds in the morning and they're praising, well, we should do the same every morning. Thanking God for the day he's given us for life and breath and everything else, and especially Jesus, his son. Or again, when someone tells us something good, say, praise God, brother. Praise God, sister. How good is that? How good is God? And even when life is hard, Praise God, because what do we know? We know that eternal life with Jesus awaits. And marvel verbally about God to others, because that brings God praise. Tell the non-believer about God. Proclaim God's truth to them like the, like the psalm tells us. You see, to be silent before our world who doesn't know God, when we're silent, what we're actually doing is robbing God of the praise he deserves. That's what happens when we're silent. And I could go on and on because there's an eternity worth of reasons to praise God. And an old hymn by Joseph Addison put it quite well. He penned this. It's up on a screen. He wrote in one of his uh, hymns, 
through all eternity to thee, a joyful song I'll raise, for oh, eternity's too short to utter all I praise. See, we will praise God forever because there is so much to praise Him for. We have so many reasons to praise Him. We're right to praise Him. and We've been saved to praise Him. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Amen.